Pastor Ed Taylor with a suggestion for you. There are just times where you need to stop and remember on purpose that you're saved. Just, just kind of, oh God, it's so good I'm saved. If it means you think back a few years of when you weren't saved, then do it. A few weeks, perhaps, and like, you know, God, it's, I did believe the gospel. I do believe you died for my sins. Sometimes it's important for you just to declare the gospel to yourself. And remember, that was the message that saved you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You to have you along as we present Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will begin 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment, which really focuses on the resurrection. The gospel, more than anything in this world, lives up to its name. It truly is good news. And I think you'd agree, good news is desperately needed today in our day of hopelessness and uncertainty. Well, right at the heart of the gospel message is the resurrection. Here's Pastor Ed to continue our series in 1 Corinthians. The city of Corinth was a very immoral city, a very difficult city to live in. About 700,000 people lived there, and before the gospel came to Corinth, all 700,000 were absolutely corrupt. Of course, there was a remnant of Jews there worshiping in the synagogue, but for the most part, they were a very debased society. You think your society's bad right now, it doesn't come close to Corinth. Things were not only allowed, but open and encouraged. There is still yet a small restraint going on in our society. The restraint of the church, where the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, and there is still someone standing up for the unborn. That's you and I. There is still someone standing up for righteousness, there is still someone with a voice that says, no, 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 I don't care what you say, that's just wrong. And then, of course, there's always those that go, well, who can you, how can you say what's right or wrong? Listen, I don't say what's right or wrong. I simply hear what God says and repeat what he says is right and wrong. And so even in the midst of our corrupt society, there is a restraining force. Once the church shows up in Corinth, there begins that restraining force in the city. But up until this point... Very difficult, very hard, rampant idolatry, open blasphemous sexual sin. Well, as a matter of fact, turn over to just a few pages to chapter 6 so you'll be reminded, you and I, what these folks were saved out of, what kind of lifestyles they were into. Pick up with me in verse 9 of chapter 6, right there in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators. So they were, they were fornicators, their sexual sin. Idolaters, adulterers. There was rampant homosexuality in Corinth. He names them homosexuals and sodomites. That, that refers to both types, lesbians and male homosexuals. It, it refers to all of them. Thieves, 
covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, extortioners, though none of them are going to inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. We went through this in depth, but the reality is this. If you're living in rank, rebellious sin, you have no conviction of that sin, you really need to check your heart to see if you're saved. Because saved people care about that stuff. Saved people see fornication and although they might be tempted in it, they they say no in the strength of the Lord. Saved people aren't involved in homosexual behavior. Saved people aren't involved in adultery. They aren't covetous. This isn't the manner of their life. The Bible warns us that this type of behavior, rampant in your life, it, it really, you should step, just step back and go, man, Lord, where's my heart, God? Especially those that, perhaps not even, none of you, maybe that's not you tonight, you're not dealing with any of that, but knowing that the Bible study goes out over the airwaves, on the radio, around the country, on the internet, it could be someone just kind of tapping in, you might be a visitor tonight, you go, well, well wait a minute, that's, that's sort of my life, I'm a drunkard. Well, you better check your heart. Because God delivers drunkards. Well, you know, I'm a, I, that's the manner of my life. I'm just an adulterer. Well, you better check your heart. Because God delivers adulterers. How do we know that? Well, notice verse 11. And such, what does your Bible say? Were some of you. The emphasis on that past tense in the English, were. Here's a group of people in Corinth. This was their life. This is what they did. This is how they lived. It was no big deal because everybody was doing it. How many times have you heard that? Hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, Johnny, but everybody's doing it. I don't care. doesn't make it right. Such were some of you. And notice what happened to them. They were washed. That'll happen to you if you come to Jesus tonight in repentance and humility. He'll wash you clean. You know what's funny about those that are caught up in all sorts of ugly sin is that they want to be washed. They want to be cleansed from this stuff. I mean, when you get to the heart of it and you speak past the behaviors and you begin, just like Jesus did, we're noticing this today as we were talking in, in our staff meeting that one of the things I admire about Jesus is he spoke right to the person. He didn't allow the behavior of the person to stumble him. As it's easy to do. You look at the woman at the well and man, all the behavior she was caught up in, all the pattern of her life and Jesus spoke directly through all that right to her heart and he says, you know, hey, I know all about you. The guy you're living with, you're not even married to him. And he didn't have to rehearse all of her sins and and, and lay them out for her. It's just, "I, I know you. And it's true that Jesus, he knows you. He sees past all the behavior. What I have found too is that when people are caught up in sin and they're getting, they're just in that lifestyle, it actually becomes a tool to keep believers like you and me at arm's distance. And they seem, you know, the closer you get, the more crazy they get in sin. As if it's going to scare you. You know, it's going to keep you away. You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're really crazy sin. I don't think I want to talk to you. I'll talk to the person that's in less sin. And, and for believers in tune with the Holy Spirit, behavior doesn't stumble you. You may not enjoy it. You may not want to be a part, but it doesn't stumble you because you know behind all that behavior in their life is just a precious person that Jesus died for. And it's so beautiful that when God is working a work among us, he doesn't require you to, like for, for, for example, tonight, I'm going to be sharing with you the simplicity of the gospel in just a few moments.
the simplicity of what God has done in order to save you from your own sins and to save your soul. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that God's requirement isn't for you to hear the gospel and then go out there and straighten out your life and then come back and believe. That's not the instruction. A lot of people feel that way. You feel unworthy. You, you feel as if in your own heart, like God could never save me. God wouldn't want to save me. Those are all real feelings in your heart, but they're all untrue. God desires to save you. He loves you so much. He's done everything possible to rescue you from the hopelessness of sin. And he's not asking you to, okay, lay out, go ahead and uh, there's a little insert in your bullets and write out all the horrible behaviors of your life. Go out and make sure you put a little box next to them. And when you stop that behavior, just put a check. And when you have five checks, you can come back and then maybe you'll believe. That's not the heart of God. That's religion. Religion says work out in order to get saved. Just work it all out. Fix everything about your life outwardly. And then perhaps maybe you might be worthy. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God simply states, you are not worthy. But Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made you worthy. And it's an exchange. He wants to wash your life. He wants to, the next word there is sanctified. He's telling the believers there, you guys were sanctified. That's a Bible word. In our modern day understanding, it simply means you've been set apart for God. You've been taken out of the muck and the mire of sin and you were washed and you were set apart and you were justified, another Bible word. We looked at these in depth actually as a church when we went through the book of Romans. We looked at each word individually. Justified is that legal standing that you have. It's like standing before a judge and the judge says guilty and at the same time declares you innocent because of what his son Jesus has done. It's like a legal standing where you can stand before God and the great way to remember the word justified is that God sees you and I just as if I haven't sinned. A beautiful relationship where he's forgiven us in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. That's the city. Not unlike our city. Not unlike our church. Not unlike us. Do you know the Bible says that if God held our sins against us, who could stand? <laughs> I mean, who, which one of us could stand before God and in each of the sins, you know, how, how much stuff we know about, how about all the stuff we've forgotten about? How would you like that to be remembered? Oh, Ed, uh, list all the things you do. Okay, okay, I'll do my best. And after like, like five years, I'm finally done. And then God says, well, I've got another 10 years worth of stuff that you've forgotten there. And you're like, oh, uh, what's it going to take? How could I possibly stand? That, that's the story of our church. That's the story of us. It really doesn't matter what strata of society you're in or how bad you were or how good you were. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he wants to save us from these behaviors. He wants us to be completely taken and freed and washed from this stuff. You know, as a church family, here at Calvary, you need to understand something. There's a lot of new believers here. Or newer believers. Or people have been walking with the Lord for many, many years. They've never been taught the Bible. And now that they're learning the Bible, it's almost like you feel like a new believer. And with new believers, you know what new believers bring into the church? Baggage. 
Lots of stuff going on in their life. Just like in the church in Corinth, they brought a lot of baggage. A lot of stuff comes into the church on the backs of new believers. They don't know any better. They still struggle. They're, they're battling things. It's, it's, not like, it's not like when you have gotten victory over something and you just sense that power of the Lord. There are still many people that haven't walked in that victory, and it's a battle daily. It's a battle. It is a fight. I don't know when the last time you were in a deep spiritual fight over an area. Maybe it could have been the week of prayer and fasting where the Lord is just showing you. For a lot of people, what you experience during the week of prayer and fasting, that's their life. There are people here tonight that are going to go home, a new believer, to an unbelieving spouse. And they're going to battle. All the things that just came into their hearts are going to be, the enemy's just going to try to rip them all out. And the battle's going to be with their spouse. The battle may be with some of their kids going on. Because not everybody's happy when people get saved. You would think it'd just be the opposite, wouldn't you? You'd think it'd be the opposite. That when someone gets saved, even if someone doesn't want to follow after God, at least they'd be happy for you. I mentioned this over the weekend when I was talking to a young man after his service. And he was delivered from a cult. He is an on fire, crazy for Jesus believer now. Loves the word of God, delivered from a cult. And, and as we were talking in the battle that's going on in his family, he was a guy that was strung out on heroin for many, many years in his life. Close to death on many occasions. And the response that he receives from his family is, I liked you better when you were on heroin. I would rather have you on heroin than a believer in Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a battle? That's a constant battle. This is his, these are people he loves. Flesh and blood. You hear things from the pulpit sometimes. You wonder, is that really true? Let me tell you something. Some of the relationships that are active among us as believers, just spiritually, brothers and sisters, become stronger than the relationships that we have in flesh and blood. We wish it wasn't so. But for some it is. For some, this is all the family that they have. This is it. That's why it's so imperative when we get a simple instruction from Andy or Ian or Lindsay or one of the worship leaders that, hey, go meet somebody. You just don't know if you might be meeting someone that absolutely really needs to be encouraged just by you looking at them and acknowledging them and their presence here tonight. It's not just a routine that we go through trying to get people, you know, we don't, we aren't, you know, we have staff meetings here on Wednesdays, so it's not like at our staff meeting, okay, at 7.01, Andy, I want you to say this. And then sing this song for three minutes, not, not three minutes, two seconds, three minutes, and then go over here and have this good, it, it, and, and then at the end, make sure that two and a half minutes exactly, this time, Andy, say two and a half minutes, not three minutes, make sure, it, it, you know, it's not organized like that. It, it never will be. We really desire for us to embrace the family that God's made us a part of, to get involved in a smaller group to encourage one another with some of the like-mindedness you have in life. 
men to step out and make a commitment in the men's ministry. Ladies, get involved in some of the women's Bible studies or the tea that's coming up. Or, you know, the parents that are just looking for ways to, to improve your parenting, get involved and start serving. Give yourself over to the things of God because the time is short and as time goes by, you're missing out on the beautiful unity that we have together in the things of the Spirit. Powerful. That's the church in Corinth. A lot of new believers, you know, they need our help. They don't need our, you know, you might see something here, it just blows your mind. You go, man, is that going, that guy reeks, man. He smells like he's been drinking. Well, number one, maybe he's not saved. Number two, maybe he's a new believer, just needs some patience with us and just say, hey, bro, you all right? Number three, you know what, which really should be number one is I, I think I should drive him home. I think this guy, you know, I don't know why he's here, who he is, I get to know him, but I'll tell you what, I'm not letting him go home. I'm going to follow him to his car and take a few guys and tackle him. Whatever I need to do, man, he's not driving. But it's so quick, we're so quick to prejudge people. So maybe they're struggling. Who's going to help them? Well, I don't know, Ed, you got a ministry for that. No, I don't, no, we don't have a ministry for that, but we have believers that sit right next to them. Well, what if, my, what if my son, you know, Johnny's only six. What if my son here smells it? What, is, what am I going to tell him? I'll make it really easy for you. Tell him the truth. And take little Johnny's hand and say, we need to pray for that man. This is real life stuff. And the last thing they need from us, like this church in Corinth, such were some of you, the last thing we need is to be hanging these things over their head. Instead, like Paul does, you guys aren't like that anymore. Don't you remember? You were safe from that. That's not your life anymore. I wonder how long they've been living. You know, a couple years they've been serving the Lord and giving themselves over. But these behaviors are coming back. And Paul just says, hey guys, don't forget, you are saved. And so, the philosophy of life there was one where the resurrection of Jesus was being undermined. But in general, the idea of a resurrection, it was the Epicurean philosophy. Not only did it have all this sinful behavior, but there was a worldly philosophy, or what we might call today a worldview. And the worldview was no resurrection. That's where chapter 15 is. With all that in mind, notice verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. As you're reading through, remember that the chapter breaks and the verses were put in later. They're for us. When you're reading the original scrolls with the Greek language, there were no breaks. It just read straight through. That English word, moreover, is a connecting word. It connects us with our study last time where Paul instructed the church that everything be done decently and in order. And on top of, which is what moreover means, on top of everything being done decently in order, I declare to you again the gospel. I'm going to share it with you again, he says. Remember the gospel I preached to you, he reminds them. Remember the one that you were saved by. There are just times where you need to stop and remember on purpose that you're saved. Just, just kind of, oh, God, it's so good I'm saved. 
If it means you think back a few years of when you weren't saved, then do it. A few weeks, perhaps, and like, you know, God, it's, I did believe the gospel. I do believe you died for my sins. Sometimes it's important for you just to declare the gospel to yourself. And remember, that was the message that saved you. To never be comfortable and, well, you know, I'm saved. And, and, and part of the battle is the helmet of salvation. You put that helmet on, spiritual warfare. You start with the helmet of salvation, according to Paul in Ephesians. And, and, and putting on the helmet is just declaring, you know, I, I am saved. I'm not feeling like it right now, but I am. I remember the gospel. It's sure. It's steadfast. You were saved by it. Hold fast to it. I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Unless your belief was empty. Unless you were just, as we saw this last weekend, unless you've just been game playing. And really only you know. We don't know. We see things and we kind of sense things, but only you know if you're playing games with the Lord, toying with him, hearing the gospel but not really believing, hearing the gospel but not really obeying. That's a problem. He says, I delivered, verse 3, to you first of all that which I also received. And here's the gospel in a nutshell. I remember as a new believer, I was so wondering, how do I share the gospel? How do I share the gospel? I didn't know how to share the gospel as a new believer. And then with his brother in the, one of the back hallway conversations, picking up our kids in Sunday school, he said, let me show you the gospel. And he took me right here. This is the good news. It's very simple. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. In that simple message is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek that Jesus died for you so your sins might be forgiven. He was buried, sealed up in a tomb, guarded by soldiers, and that he rose again the third day. Nothing held him back. The resurrection sets, G the resurrection sets Christianity apart from any man-made religion, any religion of annihilationism, which is a false teaching, or, or the religion of reincarnation, or any other theory, any evolutionary theory about what happens to man, anything like that, the resurrection is unique. And Jesus comes with three important credentials. His impact on human history. No other man has impacted human history like Jesus. Nobody can debate that. You could take this to your college professor and challenge him. Nobody can debate it. He impacted history like no other man. Just on that alone gives him credence. But number two, he fulfilled messianic prophecies. Did you notice there in verse three that what happened in Jesus was according to the scriptures? That means that it was already written ahead of time and that Jesus fulfilled things that only God could fulfill. And the stats on that are incredible. But more than anything, what sets Jesus apart is his resurrection. That he indeed fulfilled what he said. He's, you know how many times over and over again Jesus told his disciples, they're going to kill me, but I'll rise again. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again. They're, they're going to kill me. We're heading to Jerusalem, boys. You know what's going to happen there? Yeah, we know they're going to kill you. Yeah, but I'll rise again.
Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Corinthians. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to calvaryco.church. You can then do a search for the passage we studied today. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. Another great app is the Grace FM Colorado app. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you're listening to means a lot. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at calvaryco.church. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We simply can't do this alone. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed's book, Ordinary Servant. No matter your background or years as a Christian, God can and wants to use you. You'll learn how in this wonderful book. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. Again, we'll send you Ordinary Servant by Ed Taylor with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more today. Reach us at 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.